kittens in a blanket. Happy energy, little puppies, yeah! Hey, thanks for joining the Escape With Me book club. Escape with me, Lizzie Sawyer. And me, Sam Reiner. As we swim into a new book. We're going to be covering beginning to end, so there will be spoilers. Today we are going to Greater Greenswood. First published in 2002, The Frog Princess takes its turn with the classic frog princess fairy tale and twists it, seeing the princess become a frog herself. Fighting for their lives, the two frogs must find a way to end their curse and figure out what went wrong with their kiss in the first place. The book also loosely inspired the 2009 Disney movie The Princess and the Frog. So I read this series as a kid Ditto. in, I believe, elementary school, and I read the first three books... I might have read more, but I loved them as a kid. I think that was one of the first times I was introduced to the concept that you can take an old fairy tale and twist it, that it doesn't need to be told the same way just because it was told that way in the past. I really, really enjoyed these books as a kid. I read through these probably in middle school and I did read through the first several, but I didn't get into them as much as I did with a couple of other authors that I really like, which I've talked to you about just before recording. But this is a, a good kids book for sure. Trying to remember because I was so young when I first saw this cover. Like I said, I thought it was just going to be the classic story with a new paint job and saying it's different, you know, like updating in some way or other. But I was pleasantly surprised to find out that it was a completely new twist on the concept of it. I have no idea what I first thought of this book. It was such a long time ago that I read this book. Yeah, because it's just a pink cover with a frog with a crown. A photorealistic frog, which is weird because their later art direction is actual drawings. But this is a photorealistic frog with a crown on, on a pink cover. And that's all that's on the cover. Yeah, I honestly don't remember. I only really read through this series once, unlike a couple of other series that I've read through a couple of times from that time period. Now you've read through this book twice. Now I've read through this book twice. I shall not read through a third time unless I read to children of mine, eventually, maybe, if I have kids. Now we join Emma as she explores through the swamp, escaping her mother and her unwanted house guest. Well, I guess they're a castle guest here. As a kid, this series was really good. I wouldn't mind if my child wanted to read this. But as an adult, this book is boring and cliche. Yep. Yes, it is. There's no way around it. It probably helped that when I was a kid, obviously, the Disney movie wasn't out. This was the first time I had seen a classic fairy tale get twisted, so I was really into it. And I think the novelty of that really helped me go through this book. But as an adult, the interesting parts are anytime there's magic involved because you get really creative and there's usually a lot of dialogue and it's really interesting to see this world that she's starting to build. But a majority of this book is frog survival. I don't know. I think the magic is pretty basic magic lore. And I'm only saying that because I've read way too many fantasy books with detailed magical made up mumbo jumbo. And I don't mean just Harry Potter. I mean a couple of other different things things where they go into, all right, so magic works kind of like this with the internal core or whatever, or magic works like this where you need the specific elements and then you find the magical artifact or the thing with the what now. But I mean, the spells that she comes up with are interesting, but the magic base set that she uses, ah, magic works like this. It's pretty basic magic. Yeah, but the little things like having mermaids in a small bowl. Okay, I agree with that. There will be things like that. And then like the description of Grisina's room or talking about curses. 
everything she does with the magic is pretty interesting. It's just very base level. Anytime she talks about her magic, it's interesting. Yes, okay. But most of this book is not about the magic. <laughs> no. And I think that's the problem. Let's just talk about the main characters real quick. We have frog number A and frog letter purple. And we have Princess Emma, who's really Princess Emeralda. Is Emeralda? No, there's no S. Oh, is there not? Oh, wow. It's Emeralda. That's, okay. So that's Emma. And she's our main character. And it's written in first person. So technically you are Emma. And she's 14? She's 14. She's very clumsy. She's not very skilled with magic, even though her aunt seems to think she should really give it a try. She has a horrible laugh. So she's your very typical, I'm not like your normal princesses. I'm going to build off of what you said with horrible laugh. It's not a horrible laugh. It's just not what a princess laugh, quote unquote, should, full on finger quotes in the air, should sound like. She's got one of those horse spray laughs, the sort of thing that if you were in a bar and someone told a joke and she started laughing, other people would laugh. I don't know. She says she sounds like a donkey. So that does kind of stand out. That's still... That stands out. It's not horrible. It's just not princess classic. And it's not cute and demure and all of that. It's just loud. And I assume a lot of breathing. It probably. If it's donkey-like, is a lot of deep breaths and letting it out and deep breaths. No laugh is a bad laugh. But I can kind of get how she would be a little embarrassed with that laugh because I would definitely be one of those that people would turn around and look at you. Especially if you're 14, I could see that being, go, oh, no, don't look at me. And her mom's a very stereotypical, think brave relationship. She is an uncouth princess. The mom wants her to be a couth princess. Actually, it's very similar to this. The mom wants her to get married. She doesn't want to get married. She finds out, oh, you got to choose your mate, which I don't understand. If she got to choose who to get married, why is she trying to force Emma to marry someone? Where did that personality come from? That made no sense. If I remember correctly, her mom called her into the room and was like, thank me. And she's like, thank you. And she's like, we're going to have marriage talks. You're going to marry Prince. I forget his name. We're just going to say Humperdinck. His name is Humperdinck now. George. <laughs> What's his name? It's George. But that's what I don't understand is you find out at the end of the book that the mom got to choose who she married. So it's not even like, a, oh, this is the traditional thing. My mother did this to me. I shall do it to you that they had in Brave. It's just, why are you doing this? It doesn't make sense. Her mother doesn't think she can get anybody else. And there's this prince and he's, for whatever reason, probably his parents agreed to have the marriage of whatever to the thing. And she was like, you'll probably never get anybody else. I don't want a chance there never being another offer. Yes, you can marry my daughter. She says yes. But I don't know. It made it seem like the mom pulled a lot of strings to make it happen too. But anyway. The author was like, I need a reason for my princess to kiss this frog. <laughs> Pretty much. She goes into the swamp and she meets a talking frog. The frog sasses her, which is when the frog is frankly at its most enjoyable. I enjoy the frog when he is the only frog. When he's sassy, is pretty much the only time I really enjoy him. But that's Prince... Okay, the audiobook said Edric. Edric. Because the entire time I'm reading, I think Edric, which sounds cooler, frankly. But Edric. I think they both sound lame, but yeah, that's the way the audiobook narrator pronounced his name. Frankly, it's just Eric with two added letters. 
So he gives a sob story eventually. Once he finds out that Emma's a princess, he gives a sob story that he has to kiss a princess to go back to normal because he made fun of a witch and the witch turned him into a frog. And Emma rightfully is like, mm. Which when I'm reading through that bit, I was like, why would you ever make fun of a witch? What possessed you? No one in their right mind, not even a teenager would think, yes, I'm going to make fun of this witch. That will always, always, 100% of the time, end badly. Even if they're a good witch, you could end up as a frog for a little bit. She'd maybe eventually turn you back, but you'd be a frog for a little bit. Well, honestly, with Edric's personality throughout the rest of the book, it makes sense. He's the type that talks before he thinks all of the time. All of the time. I could believe that. That was consistent. Anyway, so Emma is like, no, I'm not going to kiss you. And she goes back to the castle and the whole thing with the mom happened and she says, you have to get married. Emma doesn't want to get married. I don't know where the king is. The king isn't in this book. They mention his name at one point, but he's not in this book. So apparently Emma couldn't go to her dad and be like, hey, talk to my mom. So she decides to... Wait, when does she go to her aunt? I think that's when she goes to her aunt. I think she's been going to her aunt kind of through this because she goes to the swamp and her mom had been looking for her and she went to oh that's what it is she goes to the swamp and then she goes to her aunts to avoid her mom yeah and then the next day the thing with the mom happens so we meet the aunt who is a witch she's called the green witch they don't tell you why until much later in the book the aunt's just frankly the best character in this book what's the aunt's name Gracina. ah that's right yes the aunt is the best character in this book she's the most rational she's the most fun okay no i take that back i like the snake snake is cool but he's not here long enough for me to really be like he makes an impression no but i do like the snake <laughs> and i think it also doesn't help that i'm thinking of the entire series when i think about her that's fair the aunt's a witch the mom didn't have the skill so she just became a queen you know whatever that fairy tale logic. I mean, she married into royalty because she's a princess, was a princess. I just like how they played the dynamic where it was like, oh, the aunt is so awesome because she actually has magic and things. And oh, yeah, the mom, she just became a queen. Whatever. That's boring. I mean, the aunt got to go out and do adventure things and you know, learn magic and all of this. And the mom's like, I have to have all of these responsibilities and be a certain image and learn all of these royalty-esque things while my sister's going out and learning magic and doing adventure things. I would be a bit miffed, too, but I like adventure things. They go into, a little later in the book, their whole dynamic with Christina being the favored child and her being basically the leftover. I even wrote in the note that she's basically the mom from Brave. I think she's a little bit worse, but yes. I mean, I can't say she's worse. She has, like, two pages of screen time. I think that's the only reason why I think she was worse. We don't really get to know her at all. It's just kind of like, yeah, my mom sucks and the mom does a sucky thing and then she's like yeah my mom really sucks actually no that's all we see of her (laughs) and it's from the perspective of a 14 year old so you know how accurate that is exactly which is the only reason why i say she's worse she's probably not Sorry, I'm looking at these civilization names edric's from upper montevista montevista montevisto yeah montevista yeah that sounds right I don't know. So she kisses him and something happens and she gets turned into a frog. 
instead of him becoming human. And so now she's stuck as a frog and she knows she can't go see her aunt because after the marriage thing, she went up to the aunt's tower and it said that she'd be gone for a couple of days. Didn't it say something like, ye who trespass here shall be killed for something, 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 something. All of these big cryptic warnings and down at the bottom it was, Esmeralda, I'm going to be gone for a few days. You know what that made me think of? Hmm. Brave again. It, yep. <laughs> That's a good movie. If you're looking for wood carving services, please press one. If you're looking for witch spells, please press to. If you're that girl I sold the spell to earlier, please press three. Or pour in vial three. That's what that made me think of. <laughs> they decide at this point that their big idea is going to be going to see the witch that turned Edric into a frog. Because the rules of magic in this world, which are super convenient, if a witch turns you into something, she has to tell you the terms of the spell, apparently, and how to undo you. And since his whole thing was, I had to kiss a princess, they're going to go back to the witch and ask what the heck is going on. Why'd she turn into a frog instead of I turning into a human again? And this is where it is both novel for a couple of chapters, and then it gets very boring. Yeah, don't we do a bunch of frog survival stuff and then they do some more frog survival stuff and then they go to a frog concert, which is followed by more frog survival stuff. Then they go see the witch, which is more frog survival stuff. Edric apparently has a dragonfly collection on his pad. And he says, I should show it to you. And then you find out he lives on a lily pad. Where is he keeping this collection? No clue. He never brings it up after that one beginning thing of, hey, I have a collection of these. I want to show them to you and it never comes up again do they talk about it when they're doing the swamp fairy thing later no he basically just gets dragon wings for her and i think there might have been a reference to hey you should add some of these to your collection but I, no i don't think there was because i remember expressly thinking because we got to that point i was like wait a second what happened to his collection why did that plot point drop where what what happened with that where are we now how did we get here what became of his collection if he cherished it so much why did he just leave it behind his plot it was a weird plot point to bring out to take away so yeah they do a bunch of frog survival stuff and it's really most of it's not worth mentioning there's a dog that chases them at one point and it's the cliche hey i need to talk to you but they think he's a predator and so they run away from him even though it's really obvious that he just wants to talk to them other than that there's a lot of frog facts there are a lot of frog facts and like i said in the beginning it's novel it's interesting. It's kind of cool. But once you get to the second act and it's frog survival, I, I was just done. Yeah, it gets very frog heavy. Frog survival heavy. And I did not sign up for this. This is not what I signed up for. I signed up for magic and fantasy and excitement, not frog and toad go on a survival trip. If I wanted to read frog and toad book, I would read a frog and toad book. But they go all this way. At one point, they run into an otter too. And the otter has Emma's bracelet. And she gets upset about it because that was the bracelet she got when she was five. And it has magical properties. She's not sure what they are anymore because the aunt apparently only explained it to her once when she was five. Like, five-year-olds are going to remember that. I probably wouldn't think to ask about it again later either if I was 14. I would 
have asked and been like, hey, by the way, this bracelet, I, I know you explained it to me once, but what does it do? But she's just kind of content with, oh, it glows in the dark. Yeah. I mean, she may be better than your average 14-year-old princess in this sort of world setting, but she's still a 14-year-old princess. Yeah. And that, I think that's a big problem is that she's set up to be not like other girls. And then she's exactly like other girls. It glows in the dark. It's so pretty. So both the dog and the otter are foreshadowing for later, which I do think she does a good job of foreshadowing things, not just in this book, because she foreshadows things in this book that play out in the second and third book. I didn't read past the third book, so I can't speak for farther than that. So I do like how things are set up and nothing is dropped in your lap. For example, the flower allergy. She mentions that her mom and aunt have a flower allergy and then there's a scene later where the aunt is walking through the swamp and makes a big deal about walking around flowers and staying away from them and then at the end when you finally learn oh it's not just an allergy it's a curse it's built up pretty well that was well foreshadowed i will say that i will give the author that she does plan out ahead of time and clearly isn't just doing this by the seat of her pants. That does not mean the stuff she plans is interesting, but at least she clearly has planned it out. But they go to see this witch that is supposed to be able to turn them back into a human. The first half of the book, Edric's only personality is being good at being a frog, which has him pretty interesting, and constantly asking Emma to kiss him. And then once... We meet the witch and for the rest of the book, his second personality, which is he is a glutton and he is an idiot. Yeah, he's a total moron. They go up to the witch and he tells her, hey, you told me to kiss a princess. I kissed a princess and she turned into a frog. What the heck? They find out too late that this isn't the right witch and the witch kidnaps them and takes them to her hut. And there's all these other animals in cages, too. One of the first things she does is she takes a vial and she takes a worm and she walks out of the room and then she walks back into the room with just the worm and puts the worm in the cage. Emma immediately thinks, hey, whatever she had in that vial is probably on the worm now. But Edric sits over there all nonchalant saying, nah, it's fine. She's not gonna poison us and eats the entire worm. Nah, it's fine. It's food. You'll never guess what she did to the worm. Yeah, she poisoned the worm. Crazy, I know, right? The concept is just mind-boggling. Plot twist, guys. How were we supposed to be able to predict this? And Edric is effectively passed out for three days and is completely useless the entire time they are stuck in this hut. Yeah, he's not doing great. Yeah, and it gets to the point where, honestly, I kind of miss him cleverly weaving in questions to ask her to kiss him, because it is kind of annoying in the beginning. Dude, she doesn't want to kiss you. She keeps saying that. But I'd prefer that over just constantly being stupid and falling for traps and then eating everything constantly. Heaven forbid the trap be food related. Yeah, it gets really annoying really fast. You stop caring about him. You're just kind of like, oh, he's done something else now. He's an idiot. So which one do you prefer? The annoying macho please kiss me or the annoying glutton idiot jerk who refuses to learn from his mistakes. I prefer knows a lot about frogs. Yeah, that was cool. That was when he was really cool was in the beginning where he was showing her all these frog tips and helping her learn and all of these things. But then at some point he gets moved from survival 
expert to falls for literally every trap. Yeah, and then we go into, I'll protect you, and then never actually does. But is obnoxious about it when other people do. It's real obnoxious. He is probably only 16 at the most, though. I thought he was like 14, too. I mean, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't think they ever specifically, no, I don't have any notes on that. But I get the feeling they're around the same age. She does write 14-year-olds very well. I think the problem is real 14-year-olds kind of suck. Yep, they do. It's not a great time in your life. No, it's not. If you can't tell from the last book and this book, 14 is not fun. Goodness. Ugh, that's when you're in high school for the first time. And I will say it's better than preteen. I would prefer to be a teenager instead of a preteen. Middle school is awful. But being that young of a teenager is not fun. No, that's the years of your life where you look back and you go, oh, why? You're usually very cringy. Whatever you did there was cringy. <laughs> Which everything they do in this book is kind of cringy. As an adult reading it, it's like when you're a kid and you watch The Little Mermaid and she says, I'm 16. I should make my own decisions. And as a kid, you sit there and you support her and think, yeah, you go, you tell him. And then you become an adult and you think, oh my goodness, no, child, please sit down. Listen to your father. He's trying to get you to be not dead. It's like, all right, so, uh, no. He's probably being a bit too controlling, but still no. Has good reasons. Doesn't know how to dot her, but still no. I think that's definitely a shift in this that plays out as a kid reading it and thinking about how cool these kids are and how the adults just don't understand. And then reading it as an adult and realizing how much the children are being children. <laughs> yep. So we can introduce to two other characters here. One is Lil, L-I apostrophe L, who is the female bat, and she was around when Moondeen, who is the one that cursed Edric, Lil was around when Moondeen was taking over the cottage, but she says Moondeen got really sick, and she just disappeared one day, and then Vanaby, who is a wannabe, <laughs> get it? Vanaby, wannabe. <laughs> the cringe at the end there. That's hilarious. She's a wannabe witch. And so she took over the cottage because it has all this magical stuff that Moondine had collected. So spell books, ingredients, things of that nature. And then started basically collecting random animals for no reason whatsoever other than to just be a mean person. Have random animals? She honestly just does it to be a mean person because there are three spiders. Their backstories, they were in a the corner. They made webs and then Vanaby saw them one day, killed one of them because there were four of them. She steps on one of them and then puts the other three in a cage for no reason. She stepped on Meanie because it's like Eeny, Meanie, Miney, and Mo. Except it's just Eeny, Miney, and Mo. Yeah. Because one of them is now deceased. And there's no reason for this whatsoever. It's not to keep them to farm the silk webs or to use them in a spell. She just has them in a cage because they were free and she didn't want them to be free, apparently, and puts them in the cage. And that's basically all of the animals she has. She has a pair of mice that were under the bed, and that one makes a little more sense. They were squeaking, keeping her up, so she put them in the thing because they were annoying her. Now they'll squeak in the corner instead of under the bed. I don't... Yeah, it makes no sense why she's keeping them in there other than to be a terrible person and for the animals to be like, she's so mean. 
mean. We hate her. Yep, the bat's probably the only one that actually makes sense. She's there to get rid of bugs. Yeah, and she was there to begin with. She was tied to the raffers before Vanaby came in. So it made sense for her to still be there and Vanaby be a jerk and be like, hey, you stay right there and catch my bugs. But it doesn't make sense for her to imprison all of these other animals. You gotta have a mean character. I guess. I thought it would have been fine of kidnapping frogs and then trying to take their tongue and toes because they talk, even though they're humans. But she's gotta have that potion of eternal youth. Is that what she's trying to do? Yeah. Let me see what I wrote down. No, I skipped over that. But that's what the potion she's making. It's basically to be beautiful forever. So that's why she had the frogs get passed out. She didn't want to deal with them while she was still searching for super specific herbs to make this potion. Lil helps them escape by getting one of the spell books after finding out that Emma can read, pushing the book over to her and telling her to cast certain spells. And she cast one that... Okay, there are times there are jokes in this book and some of them fall flat, but this one was really good. She had two bins. One called a trash can, and it's a bin without a lid. And then there's one that's a bin with a lid called a trash can't. As in, it can't get out. And so when she casts a spell which basically opens all locked doors and unlocks all the cages and stuff, it blows off the lid of the trash can and Lil's just like, well, guess she has two trash cans now. I found that really funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> Explaining the joke now makes me sound really dumb. But trust me, in context, it was very funny. It's really funny, partly too, because they're mid-panic, like all the things have now opened and people are escaping and suddenly I think Edric draws attention over there and they're like, oh no, the lid's off and there's something crawling out of it. And then Lil's like, oh, well, I guess that's a trash can now too. And Emma's like, what? And she's like, yeah, because you know, trash can. Trash can get out. It's similar to when you're watching an action movie and you're in heavy action scenes and the comic relief character gives that one-liner and it's just hilarious so all of deadpool yes exactly that same logic behind it so they get out so does a snake which emma is terrified of snakes and it doesn't help turning into a frog that snakes eat frogs so her fear of them has just some snakes eat frogs but yes yeah and she almost got eaten by a snake and that was actually honestly a traumatic scene can we talk about how graphic that one scene was oh with the frog getting eaten yeah yeah i could picture that in my mind so easily that was probably the most descriptive scene of the entire book (laughs) there's like this frog is going to be eaten i shall describe to you as the legs hang out of the mouth of the snake and oh, 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 I didn't need that. Nope. I don't know why we just switched over to horror, but I didn't need that. You could have just said he ate the frog. You didn't have to be this descriptive about it. I get that life is scary for frogs. Anyway, one thing that really trips me out was they didn't expressly say that the spell, because the spell unlocks all the cages, so the mice get out, the snake gets out, the spiders get out, and of course Emma and Edric can get out. But it's an open spell, so they didn't specifically say that Lil got released because she's tied 
to the Raptors. And so I just thought they were a bunch of jerks when they were just sitting there having a conversation with Lil. And I didn't know she was free yet. And I was like, why are you not? No, they did say that she's free. That's in there. They say they're not tied the knot. They did? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that was just like one line and I was reading really quick. But I was sitting there for the longest time thinking, why are you just sitting there? Untie Lil! Guys! No, it got her not to. It did, which is good. That spell makes no sense considering. And so they find out the one thing that it didn't uncork, which obviously the magic is not super well thought out because there are a lot of holes in the logic of these spells. Plot! We have to keep the plot going. We have to have the dragon's breath. That can't be released. Because magic. That's not how magic works. (laughs) You have to go by the rules that you set down. The spell can't be one of the most powerful things that's ever happened in this thing and nothing will be able to close for ages, but oh, this bottle, it's still quirked. Must be some powerful stuff. We should definitely give it away to the first stranger we see. Not bitter. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I mean, they were still frogs at that point in time, but really, they should have just kissed and then been like, yeah, here, take the bracelet. It's yours now. Take it. We'll get to why I don't like that scene so much. Anyway, that's later in the book. But they do take the dragon's breath because that was a component of the spell. And without that, she wouldn't go hunting for talking frogs again. And also, clearly, it must be super magical because the magic spell didn't affect it. Yeah, but we can pull the cork out later. That's fine. And it stay in the container. Anyway, anyway, we'll get to that scene. They go out and this is the part where froggy adventures get boring because half of the book was leading up to this. And then the rest of the book is basically froggy adventures back to the castle. Froggy adventures with a snake and a bat back to the castle. And it's intensely more boring than that sounds. And it's really repetitive too. It's very, we don't trust the snake. We're going to trust the snake anyway. We go forward. Emma almost gets attacked by something. Snake saves Emma. All right, cool. So that's the thing that happened. And then we continue on. We still don't trust the snake. We're going to trust the snake anyway. We continue on. Emma gets attacked and the snake saves. And then we get to the castle. Yeah. And another thing with that, can we talk about how Emma doesn't explain anything to Edric? No. And she does do it for the same reason that I wouldn't do it because I wouldn't do it because geez you moron you ate that worm I'm not gonna tell you what you missed the past three days you just get to figure it out but that's not the only thing she doesn't explain there are a ton of things where something will happen and she just won't explain it she'll give like the bare minimum explanation yep that's why I say it's not for the reasons that I wouldn't explain stuff which is just him being a moron it's just because she's 14 and a bit scatterbrained and doesn't explain things But she does this and she'll go back and she'll, okay, here's a good example. He's passed out for the three days and he wakes up and she mentions something about something that happened. And he's like, what? And she's like, oh, I'll explain it to you later when we have time. And then in the middle of the woods, she makes another reference. Oh, I wish Mimi was here because he was a not expert. He's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, you were asleep. I'll explain it later. And she keeps referencing back to the witch hut. It's like, you do have time right now. You are stopped camped for the night. You could actively explain this to him now. And look how easy it would be. You don't even have to write it out. You could 
could just be like, and then Emma explains this to Edric. Yeah, and if you were, it could have been, wow, I wish Meanie was here. Who's Meanie? What's going on? Oh, when we were in the cottage, there were these spiders, and this one spider was really good at knots. The end. There's the explanation. Why are we dragging this out? Because it really is dragging it out. Because instead of being like, and along the journey, Emma explained what happened to the hut. She continuously makes references to it, causing Edric to ask, what are you talking about? For Emma to reply, oh, it's nothing. I'll explain later. It happens at least three times. You're a moron. It's fine. (laughs) But if you're not going to explain it to him, don't keep bringing it up. No. There is no reason to keep bringing it up if you're not just going to explain it to him. You're just going to lord this information over this dude's head forever, apparently. Yeah, it, it gets pretty annoying. Their whole dynamic in the second is also really off because in the first, at least Edric is really trying to teach her. He's encouraging. She learns stuff. She comes better. And then they're teammates and they're fighting together. And then he eats that worm and it's like, boom, your intelligence level has just dropped from I know what I'm doing, sort of, to what's happening? What's going on? The entire second half is Emma is a damsel in distress. Who gets saved by not the prince? She gets saved by a snake. Over and over and over. It's an owl. Oh, now it's a dragon. Oh, now it's another snake. Now it's... Is there a dragon? Yeah, there was a dragon in the enchanted forest when a bunch of holes opened up and she jumped into a pit and they came out and they were like, oh, singed trees, there's dragons. Oh, there's big footprints. There are giants too. That's right. I changed my mind. The dragon is now my favorite character. It has no screen time. Best out of the best. Best character. Of course, I like dragons regardless. So yeah, dragon all the way. It's my favorite character. I don't remember it being in the book, but it's my favorite character. But that's all Emma's plotline. She doesn't grow. She doesn't learn. There is no improvement. It's just damsel in distress, damsel in distress, damsel in distress. There are no times that she saves herself. Zero times. This is the bit where I like the snake most out of everybody else because the snake has a lover and children. He has a mate. And she's apparently caught for Snake Sanders. So good for you, Mr. Snake. Good for you. Yeah. She waited for him and wanted to have more kids with him. And he's excited about that. And so that's really awesome. And he literally just follows them. And I understand at first why they thought he was sketchy because Snake. Snake. But he comes up to them and says, hey, I want to come with you. There's a lot of stuff in the forest that are dangerous and I could protect you and you saved my life. I want to pay this debt. And so at first they don't trust him. And then as time goes on, Emma slowly realizes if he wanted to eat me, he would have eaten me now. And he saves her from an owl. But instead of the next morning being like, hey guys, Fang just saved me from an owl. I think we should trust him a little bit. Lil and Edric are once again having the conversation of, oh, well, I don't trust the snake. Did you watch him all night? Well, I I thought you were going to watch him all night while I was asleep. And then Edric was like, I dreamed that you almost got attacked by an owl. That would have been awful. And she's like, that happened. That's a thing that actually happened. Yeah, and she does it in the most passive-aggressive way. Like, yeah, Edric, that happened to me. What were you going to do? What do you mean, what was he going to do about it? Why was it? He kind of pulled you out of the way if he was alert. I mean, he could have actively done something, but he was asleep. He could have, but it was the middle of the night. That is not his fault. And I mean, honestly, you probably could have moved, but the author has taken your courage level and dropped it four whole pegs. She just 
stands there, or I guess squats there. And I mean, I get the whole deer in the headlights thing. We allude to that earlier in the book that she has a deer in the headlights problem. However, she did just get them out of a very dangerous situation with the witch. But I guess that wasn't very like, ah, it's coming at me. Yeah, but that's so inconsistent on her because sometimes she'll act and then sometimes she won't. And as someone whose response to fight, flight, or freeze is freeze. I don't feel like that's her natural response all the time. Because when something scary happens to me, I freeze. I shut down whatever it is, whether it's something physically coming at me or if it's a social situation and I get thrown off my guard, my immediate reaction is to freeze and to listen and to figure out what's going on. But the only time she freezes is when someone needs to save her. There are so many scenes in the book where stuff will be going on and she'll run away and she'll do all these things and she'll fight back or she'll do whatever. But no, when an owl attacks, she is now going to freeze for Fang to save her. Thank heavens that happened. But later in the Enchanted Forest, she's going to actively fight against the Okay. Convenient plot to be a damsel of distress is convenient. But we're never going to stick up for Fang against Lil and Edric. No, no, we're just going to let them continue to hate on Fang. That's fine. Anyway, moving right along. And so there are a couple more scenes of her being a damsel in distress and either... Specifically Fang. Yeah, usually Fang. Specifically Fang. Saving them. And I think there is one scene that is done really well that I would have been okay with keeping. A lot of the other ones could have been taken out. I was okay with the owl one, but then she didn't say anything to anyone else and just let them continue to hate Fang, and I don't know what was up with that. The magic force being stuck in a ditch was a little weird, too. It was cool because magic, but like I said, you didn't actually get to see magic too much. It was just more, we're going through a forest now. Usually when you say uh, magic forest in books, uh, usually when it's especially like an enchanted forest, enchanted forests have a habit of changing their layout periodically as you walk through them. And so you would expect to lose your way quite easily because the forest has actively moved you somewhere else or there's magical plants or, you know, even in Princess Bride, which is the trope of all tropes for magical stereotypes, the fire swamp has sand pits and fire and rats of unusual size. Classic dangers. Here we have owl, snake, maybe a dragon, maybe. Yeah, and they do have trees that move around and they use Lil, who flies up above the tree they mentioned that one time and it never actually affects anything. Not really. I think there's a moment where I think a tree moved its roots and that's where the hole came in that Emma fell into. But they really do navigate it super easily just by having Lil go above the trees and seeing which way they should go and continuing to go like that. And so the first half of the book, there are constant dangers. There's the dog. There's the snake. There's the dog again, actually, now that I think about it. There's the dog a couple of times. But it feels like they're in active danger and they're trying to survive and they're doing it together. And if this was going to be a survival book, it should have continued in that vein of working together, figuring it out. Not this reverting back to, oh, I'm a damsel in distress. I don't know how to do anything. Yeah, it gets old pretty quickly. And Edric being upset that other people are saving Emma, but then not being any help whatsoever but also stalling them anytime he sees any food. Boys gotta eat. There are a lot of scenes of, Edric, come on, we need to go. But there's fireflies over here. Let me take an hour to eat them. But he really wants to turn back into a human, guys, I swear. Oh, there's one part in, after the dragon and the forest, they get out of the pit and whatever. And Edric and Emma just continue on. They don't look for Lil. 
They don't look for Fang. They just keep going. They're kind of the worst friends. They're also, again, 14. Still, they're literally your guide and your protector. But you're not going to spend two minutes going, oh my gosh, that was really traumatic. Hey, Lil! Hey, Fang, where are you? Did you get squashed by the dragon? But we've been through high school. We know there are people that are just like this that would be in freshman year of high school. This is a legitimate thing. They're just not great people. I refuse to believe a person who says someone's their friend goes through a traumatic thing like that and doesn't even think, hey, I should check on Lil. Even if you don't like Fang, whatever, don't ask for Fang. Specifically Lil. Why did they not look for her? They just continued on and eventually the others popped up. They didn't even mention being separated. They act like they were together the entire time. What is that? No clue. Uh, So it's extremely boring, but they eventually make it back to the castle and they make it into the castle. And at this point, I was just so done. But they make it to the castle and it kind of gets interesting again because we get back to the ant and we start talking about magic again. And so it's not boring survival stuff that we've seen eight times now. Starts talking about that. And then there's this really weird part where they go out of their way to stroke Emma's ego about magic. Instead of using this potion from the beginning, she sees the frog. She's not convinced that it's Emma at first because she says she gave her a bracelet to protect her. And for whatever reason, Emma doesn't actually remember her bracelet at that point in time. But makes Emma give her entire story about this and then pulls out a vial because Lil says, isn't there an easier way to do this? Don't you just have a vial that will show you what people look like? And then she stands up and goes, yes, I do have one. In fact, Emma, there's something I want you to see. And she does this magic spell or whatever and it shows Emma, her true self, but there's sparkles around her. And Emma asks what the sparkles is about. And the aunt explains, oh, that just shows how good your potential is for magic. You know, the thing you've used once in this book. Twice. She talks about the cleaning spell she did in her room. I don't count that because that is off screen. Yeah, that's fair. But they go out of their way. It just feels like filler at this point. A lot of this just felt like filler at the very end to get this to the page limit that she wanted. There's this filler to just stroke Emma's ego about magic. She doesn't even really perform magic until much, much later. And she does one super easy spell. I don't know why we go out of our way to say, Emma, you're such a powerful witch. Yeah, no clue. This is the first book in a series and it's building blocks that we're working with. So, I mean, I'm sure it gets better deeper into the series, but we're just building blocking here right now. We've got the Legos. We've made the foundation. Oh, it actually does. But the thing about it is a lot of times when there is a first book, the author doesn't know when she's writing it that it will be a series. Ah, so this book is boring for no reason. Yeah, until a publisher has the first book, sells it, see it sells well. If she's doing traditional publishing, which in 2002, that is what you did. She had to write the book and then query it and find a literary agent. And then the literary agent had to find a publisher for this book. And then once the publisher had it, they continue doing edits and whatever throughout this entire time. The publisher begins selling it. And then if that book book sells well, they will go back to the author and give them a contract for a series. So a lot of these series books, you have to look at the first entry because this could have been a standalone book. It could have not sold well, never had another book, and this would be the only entry into it. This book is so boring for no reason. And like I said, there are moments where, for example, the ant has that fishbowl with mermaids inside of it, and that becomes a big thing in, I think, the third book. And so there are cute little things like that where it makes sense hey, 
I'm giving you a touch of magic. Oh, I can actually expand upon this in a later book. But that right there was such... It doesn't make sense. It's dumb and I hate it. We're just going to stroke Emma's ego here because she's the main character and heaven forbid anyone ever criticize the main character or hint that she may not be perfect. Gasp. Sigh. This is also the point where Emma becomes super stupid again because the aunt explains the charm bracelet and she says it's a magic reversal bracelet. And even though Emma in the beginning of the book said she knew it was magic somehow that her aunt had explained it to her when she was five, but she couldn't remember anymore. At the end of the book, Emma is shocked that her charm bracelet does more than just light up in the dark. Gasp. Heaven forbid. Yeah, honey. Your reading audience knew that. Why didn't you? Because it's a reverse charm bracelet. It's supposed to be a protection if a witch tried to cast a spell on Emma. The spell would go back on the witch. But because Edric kissed her and it was supposed to make Edric back into a human. Instead, it turned Emma into a frog, even though it's not casting a spell on Emma, it's breaking a curse. Let me go through the logic here based off of how they say that the logic is supposed to work, and then we'll go through how this logic would actually work, okay? Based off of the logic that they're trying to pass here for this is that the spell on the bracelet is literally just a do the opposite spell. So when she kissed Edric, whatever power that was in between the two in the spell slot was like, ah, I now turn frog back into human, was then reversed and was like, ah, I turn human into frog, and so turned her into a frog. Now, this doesn't work because other spells that she did while she had the bracelet on, like the cleaning spell that they mentioned, per se, at the beginning, that is a cleaning spell that does actually work actively as a cleaning spell, would have then been reversed into not cleaning spell, unless we're doing logic of its reverse spell specifically to magic around Emma, which would still be problematic. No, it's supposed to be specifically if a spell is cast on Emma, then it is reversed. But that leads to the plot hole of Edric kissing Emma was not a spell being cast on her. It had very little to do with her. It was supposed to be completing a condition to turn Edric back to normal. So I'm confused why it turned her into a frog. Yeah, the spell would have been completely around Edric and it would have just been a simple... Actually, in all reality, it probably should have just been a release of magic, like, uh, oh, the spell is now done. <laughs> yeah, it had nothing to do with being a spell on Emma. It also had nothing to do with casting a spell, really. It's literally just a release, like on a box. You push the button, the box pops open. You kiss the frog, the magic goes away, and boom, you have a human again. And so the ant's solution is, oh, you need to put the bracelet back on and kiss him again, and then you'll both turn back into humans. And I don't understand that either. Did the bracelet store the last spell? And by kissing him again, it undoes it? If we're going by the logic that we're playing with here, kissing Edric messed the thing up. But even then, it would just turn her back into a human. It wouldn't turn him back into a human because it would be the same thing, right? It makes no sense. Because even if we're playing with that logic, she would just go back to being human, not him. So plot convenience is convenient. We have to follow the rules of magic that you lay down, which you're not doing. You have to follow them. You created these rules. 
She didn't create these rules. These are the basic magic rules. We're not even following the basic magic rules. The aunt takes them and puts them in a basket and whatever. And there's an entire fruit tart and Emma's too nervous. But Edric's like, I will eat this entire fruit tart as this tiny little frog. I want to assume it's like tartlet, the little pan tartlets. They're about as round as a tennis ball or a softball. She made it sound big compared to their size. There's a fat frog. He should be so fat. That's the thing. How does he jump around and and swim and do all these things? Magic. You can use that solution for almost anything. However, you do actually actively have to put it into the guidelines of the magical rules that you have laid down, which you can do because magic isn't real. So all you have to do is be like, there's a spell or there's a pocket in the spell that allows for this or he's eating, but it's filling his human body needs instead of the frog body needs for whatever spell reason. And you can can't even go back and say, oh, a 14 year old has a high metabolism because when he turns back into a human, he's pudgy. So as a frog, he should be pudgy. Yeah, everything he's eating is filling his human body, but at frog rate, which ah! play by the rules that have been laid down. It really unravels at the end if you can't tell. If a frog ate a fruit tart that was three times his size. We're playing by cartoon logic now. All he has to do is Scooby-Doo burp and he's fine. <laughs> They get to the swamp, and this one legitimately, as a child, I really liked it, and as an adult, it kind of made me laugh. The ant pulls out a dragon scale to use as a directional device, because, quote, dragons have a great sense of direction, which, if their scales are the one directing them, I don't think they have a good sense of direction, it's just their body has adapted to allow them to find any way. Not an easier way to say that would be the dragons have a great sense of direction, because their scales are able to identify north. I mean, you just, you have to preface. Earth magnetics is fine. But what she does is she gives the scale to Emma. Emma puts her hand on it because she's the owner of the bracelet, which by that thought, these would be no help to the dragon unless they were hunting down things that they already owned. But anyway, the scale's a game of hot and cold. It turns red, it turns blue. I would assume that on a dragon, it would actually be like, ah, yes, north. I know, because how would this be helping it? What, does the dragon as it's flying have to look down at his arm pause turn in different directions i have a great sense of direction i can find anything that has nothing to do with sense of direction but i had this image of this dragon flying pausing looking down at his hand turning a little to love seeing that's night trying to the right oh 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 yep there it is red and then continuing to fly ah yes i need to find a hat but it has to be his hat (laughs) it has to be my hat i must find my hat i have a great sense of direction This shouldn't be too hard. Yeah, you won't get lost, but you're not gonna find your hat. It's like saying, oh, I have a great sense of direction. I use a GPS. But we're dragons, not Hufflepuffs. It's hard to find things, guys. Anyway, so we get to my least favorite part of the book. And it makes me just want to internally scream. It is revealed at some point. Edric still has the dragon's breath tied to him. Yep. Why? Why did Grisina not take the dragon vial and add it to her collection? Because it's an extremely magical component. There's literally no reason for Edric to still be carrying it around. I wouldn't say adding it to her collection, but maybe like, I'll hold on to this for you until you're human size again. Let's set this down right here. There's no reason for them to be with her, they spend the night, next day, get in the basket, go down to the swamp. He, he still, still has, has the vial. 
There's no reason for him to be hopping around with this heavy vial. But only for plot convenience. Plot! It makes no sense for Edric. And that's probably extreme hatred of me for this book is this dragon vial. It is the bane of my existence. Because one, we start out with this spell can open anything except for that vial. Cool. And we have to carry it around for days in advance. Frogs tying knots. That bothered me. Magic. They get to the otter's den because they're looking for the bracelet and Christina was gonna go take care of it because Emma decided that she had this amazing idea. She was gonna do it. She was gonna use magic. She was gonna be awesome and Edric and the witch were both smart, responsible people and said, no, that's a dumb idea. But they get near the otter's den and then there are flowers there and Christina freaks out and this is where they find out that what Emma always assumed was an allergy is actually a curse that takes place to every female descendant of the family. When they turn 16, if they touch flowers, they become hideous and horrible. And the thing that would mess with me even more is their personality changes and they become horrible people. You become that one woman in Target that's just yelling across the store because there weren't enough eggs and she demands to speak to a manager. This is where we start getting into fairies because the first green witch had a magical basically a green thumb she was very good at these things and so she threw a party and the gifts were these bouquets of flowers that would never wilt there were more people than she had planned for and she was one short and there was this fairy who got really pissed and decided to curse their entire female line because she didn't get a bouquet she didn't accept the apology that they give which will probably include we can send you a bouquet of flowers at a later time. We just ran out. If this was how fairies acted normally, because they make it seem very common. Why do they not hunt down fairies and kill them? Get rid of them. They just, at the slightest inconvenience, they'll curse your entire family and, oh, magic lasts as long as the caster is alive and fairies live forever, apparently. If fairies are this irresponsible with magic, they should be hunt down. That's all I'm saying. There should not be a tolerance for this, that they can curse entire lines of generations. That would be a book series that I I would read, yes, we've started doing fairy hunts. There are these dangerous beings that cast awful spells. Grab your torch and pitchforks. We're gonna get the fairies. Emma decides to dress up like a swamp fairy and asks her aunt, hey, is there an actual swamp fairy? And the aunt basically says, I don't really keep up with fairies. There hasn't been one in the past couple of years, so I hope not. So she dresses up as a fairy and she gets these dragonflies and they go into all of the preparations, whatever. And she tricks the otter into believing she's a fairy. She throws pixie dust, whatever, and turns him blue. And so he believes her and gives us the bracelet. There's also a point where the dog comes back and Edric runs off to try to get the dog to not pay attention to them anymore and whatever. So they meet back up, Edric and Emma. And they know as long as she has the bracelet, all she has to do is kiss him and turn back to normal. Instead of when they first meet up doing that, they go, oh, let's go find my aunt and they hop off and they go to find her and they have this long conversation with her and the aunt's like that's awesome I need to go see this otter I think I recognize him she walks off I want to be that crazy old person I want to be on a hike with a bunch of people see a random woodland critter and then be like hold on guys I need to check I think I recognize that squirrel and just wander off (laughs) 
But she leaves him. Instead of once again just kissing him with it on, she stalls. And there are just pages of them stalling. It's like when they're leaving the witch's cabin and everybody's like, Emma, let's go. And Emma's like, no, I need to talk about this thing. And I need to look at that over there. And you need to talk about this thing. And through that entire, entire section of the book where the door's open and everybody else has already left. And Edric's like, let's go. And she just wants to talk. I'm like, would you please leave the cabin? Because the witch could come back at any time. You can talk about this outside. Leave. And that's the same thing they do here. They just keep talking and talking and talking. She keeps moving them around like, oh, we can't do it until this random thing. And it doesn't make sense. And eventually the actual swamp fairy shows up. Boom. Yeah. By the way, there is a swamp fairy that hasn't been tending to the swamp for several years. But now that there's someone impersonating her, oh golly, I just have to go back and teach them a lesson. Because fairies are the worst. But I do kind of like that humor. They were like, oh, there's no such thing as a swamp fairy. And a swamp fairy shows up. It's like, what the heck? They didn't say no such thing as a swamp fairy. They said there's most likely not one that's in the swamp. She said she hasn't seen one recently, but she doesn't keep up with the fairies. And then they do it. And then the swamp fairy comes out and she's like, you go on vacation for a couple of decades and see what happens. That's not a vacation, sweetheart. You just don't care. To a fairy, it probably is. Remember that one? I was like, I don't know how many generations that she's been alive, but apparently they live for a ridiculous amount of time. But she shows up and immediately bullies them and is like, I'm going to take your bracelet because I want it. And instead of going, no, or putting her hand through it and kissing Edric. Oh, we just need one second. And then kissing him and then being like, okay, here you go. Because Emma doesn't want the bracelet anymore after this. I think she gives it to Christina or the otter or something at the end. Like, you don't want it? She can have it. You just have to use it for two seconds. But they act like while they're in this conversation, oh, we gotta get ourselves out of this. How do we get out of this situation? Which gets them deeper into the situation because the fairy's then like, why are you whispering about me behind my back? And so she gets mad. She's like, okay, I'm gonna make you... I don't remember what she threatens them with. It's some sort of magic, but it was dumb magic. And I was like, just kiss him. It's over. You literally could squash her. It's fine. Once you're a human. I mean, she'd still be able to cast pretty nasty stuff on you at that point. But at least you'd be a human. You wouldn't need the bracelet. Anyway, this is why Edric has been carrying around this vial of dragon's breath. It's because they go, oh no, you can't have this bracelet, but we'll give you this dragon's breath. Plot. And there is a humorous scene where the fairy's like, oh, this will be good for my friend Dragon. He is really old. He's been out of breath recently. I enjoyed that. That was humorous. That was clever. That's how that works. It was Shrek logic, honestly. That's what made me laugh about it. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was clever. But she uncorks the vial and smells it. And if it is dragon breath, it is a gas. It should leave the container. Unless it's a heavy gas. Because heavier gases would theoretically stay in the container that they're in. Then she wouldn't have been able to smell it. Because she uncorks it to smells it. And she goes, yep, this is it. And there it goes. That was their whole thing. That was why it stayed quirked. And then, so they give her that, and then she still bullies them, because fairies are a menace to society. You can't please a fairy. There really needs to be a throwback to these books, except it's books about hunting fairies. Just in this book world, though, because in other book worlds, fairies are fine. They're great, they're little magical things, they add a little bit of flair. It's great, it's wonderful. In this book, they're little terrors. (laughs) This is the precursor to Onward. Things you could watch and be spending your time better than reading this book. I need to write this series 
now. This is happening. Fairy Hunter. I would probably say Pixie Hunter because that sounds cooler. That'll be the Pixie Hunter series. But the fairy still wants the bracelet. And basically Emma says, hey, this turned me into a frog. And the swamp fairy is like, oh, I don't want to be a frog. And takes the vial and leaves. Once again, instead of kissing right then and there, they go, no, we have to talk. Now we have to go find my aunt again. No. Start going toward them. And the, the white dog appears and it's going for them and there's no way to escape. And so they finally do the thing where she puts it on her arm and kisses him. And oh my goodness, wouldn't you believe? They turn back to human. And because they got released from the spell, the dog got released from the spell and it's Edric's horse and that's why he's been following him, which I don't understand why at any point the dog was just following them. Hey, I need to talk to you. 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 Hey, he's got horse brain. At one point, do you just go, I'm bright country. All you have to say, buddy. (laughs) I'm your horse. Any of that. At any point, he could have been like, it's me. If we talked to the dog at the beginning of the book, all of the travel scenes would have been solved right there because we could have just ridden on the dog. And he comes back to life and it's a talking horse. Emma's freaked out by it, but Edric acts normal. He's been a frog for a long time now and he's been able to talk to animals. It's not weird at this point. You're just gonna like, oh, I can still hear them talk. Yeah, that's the magic. The ant's explanation is, oh, Emma, you can now talk, which she couldn't talk to animals before, but now she can talk to animals because she has the power. But Edric has to keep practicing, whatever. The logic there still boggles me. So they find out that the otter is the ant's long lost betrothed, that their grandma, who's just a terrible person because she touched flowers, whatever, turned into an otter. And this entire time, the ant has been looking for frogs, but she should have looked for an otter. It sets up for the next book, which is figuring out how to get Haywood back into a human. They ask, so what What do we need to do? And he said, oh, it's something about dragon's breath and the lining of a seashell. And Emma goes, oh, gosh darn it. We just gave away our dragon's breath. I don't remember if they actually go look for dragon's breath or if they're like, we have to go get that specific vial from that swamp fairy. They hunt down that fairy. Why? Just go get some dragon's breath from a different dragon. Dragons are apparently talkable too. That's what they end up having to do. It's either they hunt down that fairy or I might be remembering in the third book when they're trying to end the curse and they have to hunt down the fairy that cursed the first person because no one can remember, which I don't understand understand how the magic is oh you have to tell them how to undo the magic but it's not if they forget how to undo it because you can forget how to undo it and then you're just stuck like that but the rules are oh to cast the spell you must know how to undo it okay whatever that's fine that's how this works cool yeah that's not how magic works (laughs) and it ends with emma saying oh i'm gonna go tell my mom all about this and my parents and her and edric get cute couple time as 14 year olds it's very pg yeah edric asks so would you marry me and whatever and emma says well maybe one day but right now i want to focus on being a witch which fine and they basically build up to this i'm gonna tell my parents about this and i'm gonna tell my mom off and say i'm not gonna marry that guy I'm more interested in this guy. I found a prince that would actually be willing to marry me. And I actually like him. But we don't get this scene. There's an entire book of buildup to her coming back to the castle. And it just ends. Fade off into the sunset. So if this was the only book in the series, imagine if it ended there. She never talks to her parents. This never happens. She probably wimped out again. She just assumed that she does. It all works out fine. They live happily ever after. That's it. 
the guy stays an otter. It's chill. I like to mention it the other way. Emma chickens out and then she's forced to marry George. Just some final thoughts. This book, as a kid, was great. It's a very light, easy introduction to the world of twisted fairy tales. It has simple magic for kids to follow, even though as an adult you realize all the plot holes. I would recommend it for kids. If your child really loves a series, there's nothing bad with that. There's nothing wrong with the book. It's fine. It's just not necessarily the best of its kind. And I kind of am sad that I can't go back to Little Sam and hand her some other books. Be like, read this, please. It's boring. It's cliche. If you are looking for something to read with your child, probably wouldn't recommend it. Let them read it by themselves because there isn't a lot of payoff for you versus... Something like the series of Unfortunate Events or The Wizard of Oz or any of the other ones that still hold up as an adult. A fifth grader could definitely pick this up and read it. Question to ask for the author. I'm curious where some of her magic ideas came from. Such as, I did really like the fishbowl with the mermaids in it. That was really good. I like the curse that she came up with. I think it plays really well into it, especially later on in the third book. I did like the thing where it came across, hey, do all spells have to rhyme? No, it depends on the witch. Some people like rhyme, some people like prose. There are things like that that I really enjoyed. It's a much more free way of magic. They even show that the ant at one point improvises a spell, and if you practice enough that you can do it. So there's a lot of freedom and an imagination there, even if some of the ideas really don't play out on a larger scale. So I am curious how she came up with some of these ideas or what she did to keep creative about them. I don't really have any questions. Why did you tease us with a dragon? <laughs> I want to see the dragon. I guess I would want to question her about why she makes Em and Edric such boring characters through the latter half of the book. There's character development in the first half and then in the second half it's just I need them to get to point A to point B with some difficulties along the way so we're just going to throw random things at them and I would want to know why she didn't continue with the character development there instead of halting the whole story until we get back to the castle. Yeah, it really does feel like she ran out of steam and ran out of ideas. And everything in it at the end is just half ideas that she threw in there. And it doesn't really pick back up until they get back to the castle again, where apparently she was really excited for that. Would you ever read it again? No. Probably not. I don't think I'd even probably read it to my kid. I mean, you wouldn't have to twist my arm to get me to read it again, but I don't want to. Even as a princess story, it is very boring. Probably give it a slipping in the mud out of 10. Not terrible, but kind of, uh, great. Now I need to go clean this up. I would probably give it two lightning bugs and a firefly out of the pond. Thanks for joining us today. You can keep up to date with us by checking us out on Twitter or Instagram, and you can help support our podcast by checking out our Patreon, where for just $1 a month, you can get access to our bonus episodes, where we look at the movie adaptations of our favorite books. This month, we're reliving our middle school days with David Warner as we look at Swindle. In addition, you can join our Discord server where we talk all kinds of books from different genres, or you can even take part in deciding what books we cover next. Next time, we'll be covering Nancy Drew and the Secrets of the Old Clock. We'll specifically be looking at the 1950s rewrite instead of the 1930s original. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Sam Reiner. And I'm Lizzie Sawyer. And we hope to see you and a friend here next time.